Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be talking about sigils, the way in which to manifest specific spiritual energy into the physical practically. There are many ways to bring the wisdom of the Akashics into the physical world, to ground oneself in the universal flow and then expand into the physical. The easiest is through speaking. Chanting, singing, reciting, playing instruments, all of these create. They manifest through vibration, moving the world around us in new ways. In Western culture, we're taught to think of these expressions as meditative, repetitive monologues, because only spiritual beings will hear them. And they don't answer prayer directly, or we're incapable of hearing their responses. We're taught the spiritual world is mysterious, being unknowable by the humble embodied. Yet we can see the effects these practices have in the real world all around us. Recently, on a trip, I walked out of my hotel room to see startled staff huddled in the hallway. They'd heard me chanting the invocation to Patanjali as part of my yoga practice, and mistakenly thought it presaged something dangerous. Not only did my chanting flow out energetically into the world, but it flowed to the staff and allowed for a teachable moment and a jolt of awakeness better than the coffee they'd been brewing. Something we all know instinctively is saying something out loud makes it so. Intentions are necessary for any endeavor, but they only program and contextualize our prana. They don't affect anything outside of us. Our actions manifest the lives we lead, therefore our words activate the programs we have intended into being. If they didn't, if the intentions we set inside us were acting on our behalf, then many abusers would drop dead on the spot, people would win the lottery on a regular basis, procrastination would end with a pop, and most New Year's resolutions would be faithfully kept without issue or effort. As a side note, this is why we're encouraged to speak our intentions out loud to another person. It's expressed as being accountable, but in reality, we're making our intentions real by manifesting them through action, through words. The majority of us have experienced the reverse side of this as well, hearing the words being spoken and knowing they can't be taken back or unheard. Once they've been said, everything changes. Once the truth is admitted, the statement's made, They become real and we have to act on them. Or we hear ourselves saying something and we immediately want to claw back the words which are already gone, making us feel embarrassed, silly, culpable, etc. Along with this, there's an innocuous seeming thread which winds through the entire history of humankind telling of the power in naming things. European legends weave tales of dragons and other creatures who choose not to give out their real names to avoid magic being used against them. Mages and wizards are called by ambiguous names, which could be personal to them, a pseudonym to hide their origins, or a title wreathing them in mystery. Elders of the East blur their origins in similar ways throughout time, sometimes to avoid power struggles, and other times to focus on their teachings rather than their personal life. In various indigenous cultures, it's not uncommon for a person to have multiple names, one which is something descriptive of their personality and can be used with outsiders, another for their extended tribe or cultural group, and one which is private to them and connects with the deeper spiritual web. 
While all this can seem mystical or something from a fantasy novel, a name in embodied life has real power. Just ask anyone who's had their identity stolen. Or any woman who's gone through a divorce and either worked to change her name or decided to carry his. Check with those who have ethnic names, as they discover the power it has to prevent them from being hired, or renting an apartment, or getting into college. Names also have the ability to empower, by allowing us to claim the truth of who we are. They can help us shed old perceptions of self, claim aspects of our true nature, and state boldly how we intend to step forward on our path. Names, no matter how simple or complex, are symbols which represent an individual. Constructed of vocalized sounds and visual lines, they encode a tremendous amount of information, including culture, geographic area of birth or parents' origin, community affiliation, gender, historical period of childhood, and possibly spiritual path. Even the most generic of names, Bob Smith, tells of North American heritage, probable male gender, and middle-to-working-class family background. Naming something has the ability to give us dominion over it, as described in the story of Adam. His being empowered by God to name things displays his status as more powerful than and caretaker of all the creatures God has made. It also sets up power dynamics when it comes to the creation of Eve. Is she his equal if he names her like the rest of creation? This power struggle is also seen in the Jewish mythology of Lilith, who has become a complex symbol of empowerment, freedom, rebellion, and defiance in her own right. So, while names have power, often they're an ill or incomplete fit. Rarely does a given name include everything about a person or even what is most relevant about them. They're somewhat like the tabs on a file folder or the name of a computer file. They indicate what may or should be inside, but we can't know for sure until we open them. Underneath the convenient name and symbol, universes await to be explored. Also, while words and names have power, manifest things into the world, and have the potential to leave a lasting impact, they are by their very nature temporary or subject to linear time. Sound may carry, but without constant input it cannot sustain itself and so fades away. Whether being produced live by person or replayed via device, Sound is an event or an experience. Culturally, we attempt to make these sounds more permanent through writing, but just as the words you are hearing are a poor representation of what I'm capable of producing through a one-on-one -on -one conversation or interactions with a group, written text can only hint at what in real-life communication of such thoughts and ideas could be and was. In contrast, Akashic language uses symbols which are more akin to energy in form and function. Energy is both life force and information, providing the raw energy by which we manifest and are manifested. It also includes information about the process and all of its aspects and options all at once in a very compact, multi-layered package. The term for this language is sigils, but you more than likely have experienced them as logos. Logos are visual representations of a person, product, business, or service, which not only identifies them, but causes you to automatically associate it with your memories, experiences, and interactions with the brand, hopefully to the exclusion of other brands. 
Shapes and colors are easier for the human brain to process and memorize than words, which makes this manifestation of information faster and allows the image to carry and trigger more reaction and connection than a tagline. Love them or hate them, most of us readily recognize the Nike swoosh, the Amazon smile, the apple with a bite out of it, the Coca-Cola red with white, or the purple and orange of FedEx. We not only recognize them intellectually, but with each sighting we experience them, their impact on the world, and how they manifest things, becoming part of the world's structure which then impacts and therefore manifests us. Even more simply, we can see this effect with instruction manuals or signage at the airport. Stick figures indicate who is able to use which bathroom, how to line up for security check-ins, where to get your luggage, and so much more. A simple collection of lines, circles, and triangles not only inform us, but also help us navigate our experience of the world. And sometimes make for a good laugh when the graphic is well-meaning, but ridiculous. Like the two squiggly lines meaning water, which just look like bacon or snakes. Or the steep grade, which really looks like a truck falling off a wedge of cheese. Akashic symbols are a means of converting raw akasha or energy and manifesting it into embodied life. This can be for healing, to initiate a manifestation project, to protect something, acknowledge or validate something we're becoming, or make a request. For example, one of the most powerful and useful Akashic symbols is the Sri Yantra. This is the energy of the goddess Lakshmi, goddess of love, healing, and abundance, transformed into a symbol which both radiates these energies out into the physical space it inhabits, but is also like a USB port, which the individual can plug into. Having it in our physical presence, not as a thought or mental image, but physically in our space, allows us to download information quickly and fluently, fills our tank after days, weeks, or years of doing, producing, and serving, and amplifies all of our manifesting efforts. Creating this symbol yourself enhances the energy exponentially by attuning it to your personal frequency. As any artist or parent will tell you, the things you manifest into the world come directly from you and take a part of you with them when they go, leaving you both less and more than you were before. The drawing of the Sri Yantra is also a spiritual practice in and of itself, which unfolds more and more wisdom within you each time you do it. Luckily, it requires no artistic talent in order to do so, only a straight edge, a pencil, and possibly a compass or a piece of string. There are even instructional videos on YouTube which you can follow along with. There are other yantras you're probably more familiar with as the symbols for each of the chakras. Each one of these is the energy of the chakra converted into a symbol which works like the Sri Yantra, only it holds the energy of the specific chakra. Drawing one not only connects you with the universal energies within the symbol, moving you outward to experience the timelessness of the pure form, but also connects you more intimately with the energies as they are expressed via your own body and soul. Anyone can learn to work with and incorporate sigils into their life and spiritual practice. No art skills are required, just a writing implement and something to write on. For example, if you want to add goddess energy to something you're working on, you simply draw a labyrinth or spiral somewhere on the object or have one near where you're doing your work. There are simple line drawing symbols for most energies and deities people work with, just like the simple circles and lines which represent the 12 astrological signs. 
If you want to be more specific or work with the language itself to create your own sigils, then I recommend the book Sigil Witchery by Laura Tempest Zakroff. She walks you through the various components of a sigil, how to combine them to form a complete design, and various ways to activate it once complete. With sigils, you convert your personal energy, intention, and wisdom into a manifesting engine, which can then work for you to support you, your spiritual path, and the good you're bringing into the world. And who doesn't like a bit of support now and then? And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, nakashicreading.com. Thank you to my patron of honor this week, Lourdes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can join in patron-only classes, see all my other offerings, and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.